0: I'm going to try to make this quick, but I'm jumping in here at the beginning of this episode to let y'all know that I'm changing the theme song. Starting now, starting this episode, moving forward, you're going to get a different theme song. And I thought instead of just doing it, I figured y'all deserved just a bit of explanation before I just changed it. See, I like the theme song that I've been using for the past 120-some episodes, but I do think it drags a bit as far as... Being the opening music to a podcast that's not very long. The theme song is long. The podcast is not. And the fact of the matter is, I have this bit of music that a friend of mine, his name is Derek Nybarger. He's a musician and songwriter. He wrote this bit of music for me to use as the intro for the Stephen or Else podcast back when I was doing Stephen or Else. And I haven't done that podcast in a long time. And this guy went out of his way to write it, to perform it, to record it, to create from his head and his heart, this piece of music for me that I think kicks a lot of butt. And it's just sitting there not doing anything because who knows if I'll ever get back to Steven or else. So I'm going to use it here and I'm going to use it moving forward. That's your new theme song. I hope you enjoy it because I certainly do. So without any more ado, let's just do it. Buckle in, ladies and gentlemen. This is Just Another Fanboy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy, the only podcast with a deep-seated fear of the wide-open prairie. I'm your host, My name is Steven, and today I'm going to talk about The Suicide Squad. This is something that a lot of people have been talking about recently, and that's mainly because we've got this movie coming out at some point. I don't know when, but they had the big DC fandom thing a while back, and they released this kind of a behind-the-scenes in regard to the new Suicide Squad movie that James Gunn is directing, And if you're not aware, James Gunn is the guy that brought us both of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which were both fairly incredible. The first Suicide Squad movie, not great. Not really all that good. A lot of potential. Wasn't all that good. The second Suicide Squad movie, I think a lot of people are really pinning their hopes on. And I think think it's going to be good. I mean everything about it that I've seen so far looks pretty darn incredible. A whole bunch of characters I've never heard of before because I'm not steeped in DC lore, but apparently James Gunn is and they used this this time during the DC fandom to introduce the entire cast, all of the characters that are going to be part of this movie and it's pretty crazy. So I thought because of the announcement of the movie and because I've been reading the Suicide Squad comic It's one of the few new books that I get, and it's written by Tom Taylor, who I love. I'm not afraid to admit that. I have deep man love for another man, Tom Taylor. I'm sure me talking about it might make him uncomfortable. Maybe not. He might be like, all right, people love me. Man, woman, dog, bird, sea anemone. Doesn't matter to me, man, as long as people love me. Of course, he'd be saying it in an Australian accent because the boy is from down under. But I thought I would take this opportunity to do another one of my first episodes in which I look at going all the way back, or sometimes not even all the way back. Of course, so far, every time has been all the way back. But this is where I look at the first appearance of a character, or in this case, a team. And Suicide Squad actually goes back to the Silver Age, 1959. They debuted in the Brave and the Bold, issue number 25 and we nothing, nothing like they are now. The idea back then was not a group of super criminals being recruited by the government, being pulled out of the prison system and saying, hey, if you go on this mission in which you'll probably die on, if you go on the mission for us and survive, we'll uh, we'll take some years off your sentence. That didn't come about until 1987. But the original Suicide Squad was more of a challengers of the unknown type of thing. Well, not, not that quite, but it was a team of people created by writer Robert Kaniger and artist Ross Andrew. They were just made up of Rick Flagg Jr., along with his girlfriend, Karen Grace, Jess Bright, who is an astronomer, and Dr. Hugh Evans. They were a team called Task Force X nicknamed the Suicide Squad, because if there was a job, they were like the A-team. If there was a job that was just a little too tough for any other group within the military to handle, they called upon Task Force X, which just thinking about it sounds kind of silly, because the only one that's a soldier is Rick Flagg Jr., and he's a pilot. Karen Grace is a nurse. Then we've got an astronomer and a doctor of science. Not a, I don't think the other guy is a medical doctor. We didn't get the Suicide Squad the way we know it now. You know, the whole criminals, super criminals working for the government. That debuted in Legends number 3 back in January of 1987 and was created by John Ostrander. That's not the version I'm going to talk about because that wasn't the first. So I actually read this issue last night, Brave and the Bold, issue number 25 from 1959. And it is a good-looking book which reads horribly. I I was really just full of love and full of hate throughout reading this entire issue because it looked really good. Ross Andrew just kicks all kinds of butt on it, but it just didn't read well at all. And it's a Silver Age book, so it has one of those deals where they do it in three acts. They actually have three chapters within the book, and it's kind of weird. I don't know why they do this. I don't have a lot of experience with Silver Age books, But if I look at just the three books I've read so far from my first series, which was The Journey and the Mystery, The First Appearance of Thor, which was a Silver Age book, this one, which is a Silver Age book, and Green Arrow, which is a Golden Age book, the one thing that the two Silver Age books do that I don't recall happening in the Golden Age book are these three chapters. And they actually separate them within the book, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And in this one, I don't remember them doing it in Thor. But in this one, each time, like when chapter two started, they gave you a quick summary of what just happened in chapter one. And then they did the very same thing when they start chapter three. They give you a summary of what just happened in chapter two. And I found that quite odd. But it had me wondering why they do that, why they did that in those two books, and if it was common in Silver Age books. I don't know. Again, I don't have a lot of experience with Silver Age books. If you do, let me know. I'm going to throw a theory out there. You let me know if I'm right. I read this digitally through Comixology, so there are no ads in the book. I have to assume, my theory is that the actual published paper comic book had ads in it, and those ads appeared Between the chapters, kind of like commercials in a TV show. And I thought, well, this is kind of an era where TV was starting to become popular. TV was was becoming more and more popular. It was coming into more homes. And so maybe they started writing their comics as if they were TV shows with these commercial breaks. My first thought was maybe just people who read books back then just couldn't get through very much In one sitting, either they just didn't have the stamina or they led such busy lives that they only had time to sit down, read a few pages, get to the end of the chapter, put the book down, go off, work in the steel mill, chop some wood, milk the cows, whatever, and then come back and start chapter two three days later. And then because of that, they had to be reminded what happened in chapter one. But the more I thought about it, the more I figured it, maybe it has something to do with the rise of TV and commercials. I don't know. That's just my thought on it. But I'm going to just give you the quick, quick rundown of the of the issue. And then I'm going to point out some very ridiculous moments that happened, because really, the story is not all that complicated. It starts out with this thing that they call the red wave that comes out of the ocean. It's this big wave of what appears to be water with a glowing hot, red, hot magma like center in the middle of it, like an eye and it washes up on the beach and it starts burning things and melting things and, and people are running from it and the police come and fire engines come, and then eventually a special task force of firefighting airplanes arrive and drop foam bombs on the thing. Nothing can stop it, and so they bring in Task Force X. Task Force X are, again, these four people. They fly around in a plane that they refer to numerous times in the book as the flying laboratory, and every time they refer to it as the flying laboratory they use quotation marks around flying laboratory not sure why it makes me feel like they're saying it sarcastically because now in our modern times whenever somebody says something in such a fashion and they're saying it sarcastically and they do the air quotes with their fingers i feel like they're they're saying it sarcastically and then here comes task force x in their flying laboratory that's how i feel every time i read it in quotes but they come in you've got Rick Flagg Jr. flying the plane. You've got his girl, Karen, up front with him in the cockpit. Then you've got Jess and Dr. Evans in the back. And they're back there. One of them is smoking their pipe. Then the other one is not smoking a pipe. And their job is to come up with creative ways to stop whatever it is that they're going after. Rick's job apparently is to get them there. And pretty much most of their ideas throughout this issue have to do with dropping something from the plane. And so Rick's job is to get the plane close enough to drop stuff from it. Karen's job is apparently to sit there next to him and look good, I guess. So the first idea they have is basically to drop liquid freezing stuff, just a super flash freezing spray misty stuff on the red wave. And it works. It turns it into ice and everybody's happy and there's high fives all around and they land the plane and they go to get a closer look at the thing cuz they're they're trying to figure out what it is and then the ice breaks and a monster comes out of it this is a like a reptilian godzilla like kaiju monster with a freaking horn coming out of its head and it is an it's an ice monster it doesn't look like an ice monster it looks like a freaking lizard but apparently it's its temperature is sub zero and anything it touches turns to ice And it turns an entire roller coaster into ice and then destroys it. And so Task Force X jumped back on the plane. Every time Task Force X does something to try to take out the threat, the writer makes sure to let us know that they are fulfilling their nickname as the Suicide Squad. And yet, not once does any of them die. And, and so he's the, the writer's always like, and like their namesake, the Suicide Squad goes in for the crazy thing that they're going to do. And that got really old really quick. So they all jump back up on the plane and they all fly up into the air. And the two guys in the back are trying to come up with the next thing that they can do. And they have this idea basically to dump salt on it. They do all they do a, a number of things to try to take it out and every time every time they try to they, they think they've got it taken out, it happens twice. First they freeze it, they think they've won, they haven't. then they dump salt on it and they think that works and it doesn't and all it does is it turns from a, a freaking ice monster to a warm-blooded creature that turns green and starts sucking all the chlorophyll out of everything and everything around it just turns completely white. And so twice they think they've beaten it so the the so there's three times that this creature comes at them. First time as the red wave, the second time as the ice monster, the third time as the green monster and that's why they call it the three waves of death. Well, at one point we learn that originally they were on their way to do some other kind of task that had to do with the rocket that was being shot to the moon with dummies in it. I don't understand what they were supposed to do there other than maybe check it out. I don't know how that has to do with the whole Suicide Squad nickname, but that ends up tying into the story because as the 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 green chlorophyll sucking monster is chasing them, they realize that the only thing they can do is they jump on this rocket and just before they take off, the creature jumps onto the rocket and latches onto it and they take off into outer space and they bypass the moon they fly toward the sun the creature comes loose from the rocket because of the gravitational pull of the sun and ends up becoming a planetoid and orbits the sun that's that's it that's how they beat it and then they come back down to earth or at least we think they do they're heading back down to earth and we get one of those, do they make it back to Earth? Find out in the next issue, something like that. So let me talk about some of the, just the ridiculous parts of this book. And it starts right away from the very first, well, not the first page, because the first page is one of those pages that that tells you, it says, hitherto locked in the deepest vaults of secrecy are the exploits of Task Force X. Created to combat perils which defy conventional methods of defense, this unique unit, by its utter defiance of danger and startling tactics, has earned for itself the codename of the Suicide Squad. Their first mission will be revealed to you as they battle the invincible menace of the Three Waves of Doom. And we see the big lizard monster thing wrecking a roller coaster. So then we go into the actual story and our first caption box sets up where we are, which is the Eastern Laboratory. That's it at the Eastern Laboratory, which charts earth tremors. So apparently in America, we have an Eastern Laboratory. We don't know where it is. And its whole purpose is to chart earth tremors. And it's called the Eastern Laboratory. And the seismograph here in the first panel, it's recorded an earthquake of such violence that the needle rips the charts. And this is when the red wave comes out and it chases a bunch of people off the beach. So when we're introduced originally to Task Force X, Rick Flagg is flying the airplane in, their, their big flying laboratory. And as he's flying over the red wave, he looks down and he sees what to him reminds him of a Japanese aircraft carrier because it's a big, there's a big red circle basically, which was like the Japanese flag. And then we get his backstory. We get the backstory for him, Karen, each individually. And then we get the backstory of the other two. They they share a backstory. They're not important enough to each have their own backstory, but his, each one of their backstories that I guess brings them into task force X is all about tragedy for him, he was a young pilot during World War II. Him and his unit go to bomb this aircraft carrier. The The guy in charge says, all right, kid, we're going in, but you hang out. You stay behind. You stay up in the air. If we need you, we'll call you. And they all fly down there and all their planes are destroyed. And so as he <laughs> so he goes down to blow up this aircraft carrier and they make it they make it highly obvious that he's doing this all for his fallen comrades because he says no one left now but me and in his in his ear he hears the voice of his commander who apparently is dying but it hasn't quite died yet and he says up to you now rick carry on for us and he dives i'll carry on for you i'm diving for you i'm aiming this for you he says as he drops the bomb and then as the aircraft carrier explodes i'm scoring For you. And so he's thinking about all this as he's flying the flying laboratory and he's thinking to himself, I'm still carrying on for the men as a member of the suicide squad. And then eventually we get Karen Grace's backstory. Also during World War II, she's in a flying ambulance which crashes in the ocean and she makes her way out and finds herself on a broken section of wing that's floating in the ocean. And a wounded soldier who is in the ambulance is floating next to her. And she tries to pull him up onto the wing. I won't let go of you, no matter what happens. And the soldier says, you're an angel, nurse, but I'm not going to drag you down with me. And she says, no, no, you're pushing my hand away. It's the only way he says. And as he's sinking beneath the waves, he calls out, fight them for me. And she's sobbing on the wing. I won't forget. I won't forget. And then later, the next panel, we see her later getting a medal for surviving. And as they're pinning it on her, she's thinking, this medal is really for you. And then we learn that she and Rick Flag have a thing and this, there's a whole section here where they're talking about their love and it's so full of just corny lines. At one point, they're standing under a bunch of trees and they're in their dress blues and they're holding each other. And she says, oh, Rick, Rick, we love each other. Nothing else matters. And he says, you're wrong, Karen. Our duty matters more. Have you forgotten the promises we made to those who gave their lives for us? How can we keep them if we think of ourselves? And so they're not boyfriend and girlfriend. They have this love between them that they can't act upon because their first duty is to the suicide squad. If they think of themselves, then they're just being selfish. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing for them. Another ridiculous moment is they are battling the ice monster and the two guys in back are trying to decide how to take it down, and one of them says, I know this sounds crazy, but they use ordinary salt to lower the freezing point of snow and ice, and the other one says, hmm, it just might work. We've a special concentration of sodium manganate aboard. And so they radio up to, to Rick Flag, and they basically they basically tell him, okay, just fly down there, just out of reach of the thing, we're gonna spray it with salt, right? But they don't call it salt, they use the na 2 MnO 6 and Rick just automatically knows what they're talking about because his response, Skipper, if you can buzz just out of reach of that thing, we'll spray it with na 2 MnO 6 And his response is, you think there's a possibility of lowering its freezing point until it might melt? It's worth a try. So he's a soldier and a freaking brain at the same time. And then the last ridiculous part among a whole bunch of ridiculous parts is when we learn the backstory of Jess. And Dr. Evans, as they're flying away from the ice creature that they have hit with salt that then turned into a chlorophyll sucking green monster that has turned everything around them white, they're looking out the window of the plane and they see nothing but white trees. And one of them says, this reminds you of anything? And the other says, the time that nuclear bomb test went off prematurely. So it turns out that they had been on their way to join their fellow scientists in a lookout station to watch a testing of this bomb, but the lookout station was too close, and they didn't know it. And as these two are heading up towards it, they're still a ways off. The bomb goes off, and it destroys the lookout station. If their jeep hadn't broken down, they would have been in there with them. And so they walk toward. They after it's all said and done, they're slowly walking towards the ruined lookout station and this is this is why it's so ridiculous they've got a geiger counter out and it's clicking away and they're walking toward it and then a voice comes out of the ruins the ruins that just got blown up by a nuclear bomb and it says don't come any closer carry on for us and the two are look they, there's a close up of both of their faces glowing green and one says we will and the other says we will. And so suicide squad is made up of four people that are carrying on for people that were around them and died. And not only just died, but as they were dying, proclaimed to them that they must carry on for them. Just lay these huge guilt trips on them. We've we're dying, but you survived. So now it's your responsibility to carry on and do everything you can in life. In our names, we will. And by doing so, we will join a special government task force that does such crazy things that we are named the Suicide Squad because we could die at any time. And our leader will ignore the love of a good woman. And it's just (laughs) it's just really silly. It is. The story is very heavy handed. It's not just spoon fed to you. It's beaten into your head with a fricking shovel and not just any kind of shovel, like one of those shovels that they use to dig post holes, you know, the double shovels, that's what they're using to beat the story into your head. And uh, it's a shame because the art is just, it's just gorgeous. And I love the guy smoking a pipe. It's very 1960s or at this point, 1959 it's very leave it to beaver sitting in the back of the flying laboratory in his tie and his sweater and his freaking pipe as if he just got home from work and he's reading the paper. But no, he's not. He's in the back of a plane trying to decide how to take out a reptilian ice monster. Hmm. He said it just so he just looks so calm and suave and just just on point. You know, he just that's somebody you just can't help but trust a guy like that. As far as I mean, trusting them to get the job done. On the other side, they also look like a bit of a type of person you don't want your children to be around alone. I'm just saying, I didn't want the show to go that in that direction, but I just, sometimes it's got to be pointed out. But that was the Suicide Squad, the first appearance of the Suicide Squad. Maybe eventually I'll do the first appearance of the modern Suicide Squad as far as the way we know it now with the criminals And the government using them to go out on, you know, secret missions and all that. That first appearance, like I said, was in Legends number three, which is in the middle of a it's an event that was, you know, they did Crisis on Infinite Earths and they fixed, quote unquote, fixed, I'm using the air quotes here, just like in Flying Laboratory. So I'm saying a sarcastically, fixed the DC continuity, and then to kind of kick off the new DC universe. They did the Legends crossover to help introduce a lot of the new heroes. It helped that helped introduce the new Captain Marvel. I think Blue Beetle was introduced. The new post-Crisis Blue Beetle was introduced in that series. A, a lot of a lot of the heroes, I believe, were introduced in that that mini series. Which was I know it was drawn by John Byrne. I don't know if he wrote it. I mean, he's the guy that gave us. He's he's the guy that rewrote Superman. He post-Crisis Superman. The Superman we know, the Superman that they rebooted coming out of the crisis was all done by John Byrne. So maybe I'll, I have legends, maybe I'll go and I'll read it real quick over the next few weeks and see how that first appearance goes as far as Suicide Squad. And if it's not something I feel I could do a whole episode about, then I'll I'll locate I'll track down issue number 1 of the series which apparently ran for like 66 freaking issues. I don't know how many issues this this ran, The Brave and the Bold featuring the Suicide Squad, but uh yeah, it was fairly ridiculous. It was a fairly ridiculous story. But what what else do you expect from this point in time when it comes to comics? Am I right? Hey, before I wrap up this episode, I've been doing this a lot, and I hope you're not getting sick of it. I'm going to stop after a bit, but I think it's helping. I'd really like to encourage everybody, if you're listening to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, please go out there and rate the show. You have the option of both rating and leaving a review, but really, if you rate it, that's what helps me. Now, if you want to be like Hello Kenny, who just left a very nice review, Loved it so much, Kenny. Thank you so much. You can leave a review, but I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to at least go out there and give me a few stars. The more ratings I get, the higher up in the algorithm I go, and then more people are able to find this show. If you're listening to it on YouTube, because you can listen to the show on YouTube, I do audio-only videos. I'm doing that in air quotes too. Videos. Videos. You can watch them, but it's just the logo. That's all you're going to see is the logo. But you can listen to the episodes through YouTube. If that's what you're doing, like the episode. Smash that like button. If you're a, a person who watches a lot of YouTube videos, they say that a lot. Smash that like button. Smash it. Punch it. Hit it in its jaw. Because hitting that, tapping that, pushing that like button, that again helps with the algorithms. And again, I'm going to back off talking about this uh, eventually, but it is helping. I'm I'm finding more people the coming to the podcast. I'm I'm seeing more ratings. I'm seeing more subscribers over on YouTube. So for those of you who are doing that, I appreciate it. I love it. Thank you so much. Again, it's a big help. Let's let's please keep doing it. Let's get the show out there. Spread the word. Thunderbird. Help me, help me, help you, help me, help me, help you. Remember that? Let's put it on a t-shirt. Let's get it out there. Let's get it done. Actually, you know what? I'm recording a lot of these episodes out of order. I don't know if you've heard the whole help me, help me, help you, help me, help me, help you yet. I don't know if you've heard that yet. So that might be a bit confusing. Oh Well, you'll hear it eventually if you haven't heard it already. Okay. Now, if you listen to the podcast through another app and they, they give you the opportunity to rate it, please do so. That would be great. I would love it. It's a big help. That's all I'm going to say. Do that for me. I guess I'm going to say other stuff. Do that for me, please. Please, I'm begging you. I'm not on my knees because I don't think my knees can handle it. But if you do that for me again, it's going to be a big help. But until then, until you can do that for me and until the help is big and you're helping me, helping me help you, help me help me help you, my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. I'm out. Good job. (gasps)